Take your Bibles again, turn me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. I told you many times I'm just going to keep plowing over this, this, uh, this text and uh, praying that God would continually bless it to you and shore it up in your mind. It's my hope and desire that when you open your Bibles to this portion of Scripture and you start reading, you won't have any problem understanding what's being, what's being said here. I think it's very plain. That the language here is very plain. And so we've gone over since verse 10. We've talked about, first of all, remember that the covenant of the law is a contractual covenant. As many as are of the works of the law are under the curse of the law, not the blessing, because why? The scripture hath concluded that all are under sin. Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things written in the book of the law to do them. So then what is the conclusion? No man is justified in the sight of God by the works of the law. So how then is a man justified? He's justified by Christ. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. Where it's written, Curses everyone that hangeth on a tree. For what? That the blessing of Abraham, the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And then in verse 15, he begins to tell us of this covenant of promise. The covenant of promise is not a contractual covenant. It is a last will and testament. And he uses the last will and testament of a man. He says if a man has a last will and testament, you can't add to it, you can't take away from it. It wouldn't be just, it wouldn't be right. And in verse 16 he tells us to whom this promise was made. To Abraham and to his seed, which was what? Christ. The promises of this covenant were given to Christ as the mediator, as the testator of this will. All the responsibility of the covenant of promise rested on the seed, Christ. And he said, This I say that the covenant which was confirmed of God before, before of God in Christ, the law which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect for if the inheritance be of the law it is no more of promise but God gave it to Abraham how? by promise so we see the distinction of these two covenants and then he says well what's the purpose of the law verse 19 wherefore then served the law it was added because of the transgression what's the purpose of the law it is to magnify sin that's it that's the purpose of the law all it can do is magnify sin and magnify the curse. It, it, it testifies of the holiness of God, the justice of God, and the sinfulness of man. But it can't save. It was never intended to save. And he says this in verse 21, is the law then against the promises of God? Can the law stop the promises of God? Can the law somehow thwart 
the covenant of promise? Did God put that law as a roadblock? Well, before the law, everything was going well, and God gave the law. Now then, we can't get in. That's not what it's for. It doesn't do that. He said, God forbid, it doesn't stop the covenant of promise. It doesn't have any effect on the covenant of promise whatsoever. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded. The scripture hath concluded. What's the first thing it concludes? All men are under sin. That's a conclusion of the scripture. All men are under sin. By nature guilty, children of wrath even as others. Secondly, it concludes this. It says all under sin, it concludes that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. The scripture hath concluded that God's eternal promise toward his elect people, this covenant of promise which includes eternal life, righteousness and forgiveness of sins should be given, should be accomplished by Jesus Christ and given to those who believe. I don't want you to take your eye off the ball. The whole, the whole center of this is the covenant of promise. This is what he's shining a light on. The law doesn't have anything to do with this. The law manifests, it has a purpose, but it's not, doesn't have anything to do with this covenant of promise. Listen to what Paul says in Hebrews chapter 8 concerning this. He says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Listen. Not according to the covenant I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. I'm going to make another covenant. A totally separate and distinct covenant. Why? Because they continue not in my first covenant. That first covenant, they didn't continue in it. And I regarded them not, saith the Lord, for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I'm going to put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. That is a, a, if that's not a distinction between these two covenants, I don't know what is. One only can give you a curse. This one promises blessings. One can only condemn you of sin and one promises to forgive you of your sins. One is a law written on tables of stone. The other one is a law written on your heart. So the scripture hath concluded that all the promises of God are included in this covenant. And thirdly, the scripture concludes that the promise of God must be by the faith of Jesus Christ. That by the faithful obedience of Jesus Christ. That he alone should merit the righteousness of God for us. And that he by his death should make an by his death, he should make an offering for sin, that he should make an end of sin. 
So the scripture concluded that God saw the travail of his soul and justice for, was for the elect perfectly satisfied. You feel guilty. You believers in Christ, you feel guilty. Do you realize that that guilt is what you feel is just that, it's a feeling, but the, the guilt has been removed. The guilt has been removed. Christ actually bore your guilt. And God said, I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied with his one offering. He accomplished the salvation of his elect by his faithful obedience. And now he sits faithfully as the only mediator between God and men. If you are ever going to be accepted with God, it must only be through this mediator. This one who stands between us and God. Jesus Christ. And fourthly, the scripture hath concluded this, that the promise is given. Look at that. He said the scripture concluded all under sin, that the promise by the faith of Jesus Christ might be what? Given. This is, this is how the promise is, is going, you're going to get it. This is how you get the inheritance. It has to be given. Freely given. It's given by the grace of God. Simply by the grace of God. Remember, it was God that chose his people in sovereign grace. And it's by the sovereign grace of God that we all receive this through faith. It is by the grace and power of God you receive this. You receive him as many as received him. To them gave you the right to become the sons of God which were born. How were you born? Not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. You and I receive this by faith according to the power of God. And so now in the next verses, the apostle then is going to apply all that he has taught. He's going to bring all of this purpose together, his message. He preached to them that salvation is not by law, but by grace, by a covenant of promise. And he declares this promise is not based on any physical inheritance or outward obedience, but only by the merits of Jesus Christ. And all who are saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ are never separated by outward classes and status. But the gospel declares our union. I want you to see now he's going to show you that the law divides. The law divides based on race. The law divides based on gender. The law divides based on obedience or disobedience. But this covenant of promise does not divide. It unifies. It unifies. The gospel of Jesus Christ declares this, that we are in union with Jesus Christ. We are in union with Jesus Christ. The law tells me that I'm not. What did God say? He said, your sin has separated you from God. What does the gospel say? The gospel tells us that we are reconciled to God. That we're not divided but in union. 
at peace with God. And the gospel declares this, that we are in union with each other. We are in union with each other. And because of this union, we must of necessity be in union with one another. Now, let us remember that these Jewish false teachers, this is what they came in with, division. They came in with division. They came in to the church causing division by saying this, that the Gentiles must be circumcised to be saved. They must obey this one precept of the law in order to be saved. We know this because of Acts chapter 15. That exactly what they did in Antioch is what they were doing in Galatia. Listen, he said, Certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, except you be circumcised, after the manner of Moses you cannot be saved. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So you had this rising up in the church at this time, these Jews, they just would not let the law go. Why? Because the law set them apart from everyone else. The law separated them. And if you were going to be part of them, you had to be circumcised. You had to set yourself apart by this. This is always the way of false religion. False religion legalist doctrine always seeks to divide the church by groups and classes of people. It always causes members to set themselves above others and look down on others. Either because of their status in the world, their status in the church, or because of their education, or because of their zeal. This is why they always need to hear the law repeated. What do they, what do they get out of this? Well, you, you hear somebody talking about works all the time. They said, well, you need to be doing this. Why would they need to hear that? Because they want to measure their spirituality. You preach, a, you preach a certain thing, well, do not commit fornication. And they look at their lives and say, man, well, I've done that. Check. Well, don't steal. Okay. Well, check. What? Well, measuring up pretty good. And then they find something that they're a little bit rough and they said, well, you shouldn't covet somebody. They said, oh, I need to work on that. I'll work on that. I, I won't covet it. And pretty soon they got, got that checked off. What are they doing? They're just measuring their spirituality. And when they reach a certain measurement, what are they going to do with you? When you stole something, what are they going to do with you? Well, they're going to look down on you. And this is what religion does. It sets people apart from one another based on their obedience. Well, see whether they measure up. I thought about when we had kids, and our kids were small, they'd always like to put a measurement on the wall, you know, by a little pencil mark. They'd come back two or three days later and try to see if they were, see if they had gotten taller. That's how re religion does. Religion always wants to measure yourself. But who are you really measuring against? 
each other. If you were measuring against God, like you should, you wouldn't be doing that. So here, Paul sets it straight. That those who would seek preeminence in the church above others, he declares this, that all believers are the same in Christ. The gospel is the great leveler. It's the great level. It puts us all on the same playing, on the same level. Sinners saved by grace. That's what it does. And so he's going to declare this that there is neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male or female. He's going to tell them all they look, we're all one in Christ. We're in union here. Now in the Old Testament, God did choose that one nation, that race of people, and gave his law to them. God set this people apart by His deliverance of them from Pharaoh and giving them His law. And so Paul says this in verse 23. He says, Before faith came, what? We were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Before Christ, before He came in His faithful obedience, to accomplish the covenant of promise. God's people was shut up to the law which only pictured Him in types and shadows. It only testified of His work that was to come, but they couldn't clearly see it. Circumcision was a part of that picture. And while there were many references of Gentiles, there was only a few of them that Believed, Only a few of them. And he says in verse 24, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. I told you this, this last Lord's Day that this schoolmaster, he was a slave in the master's house. It was a, this was a, a, a wealthy man would take a slave that he trusted most and set his young children under him. Until when? Until they came of age. Until they came of age. He would teach them. He would discipline them. He would instruct them. And that's what the law was to the Jews. But when it was no longer needed, when Christ came, it was done away with. But the question is, in, in this modern age is, how were the Jews saved? Those that were kept under the law. How were they saved? Now some believe that the Jews were saved differently than we are. That, they, that that law had some measure of necessity in order for them to be saved. But we know this is true. They were saved the same way Abraham was. They're saved the same way we are. You see the unity here? Salvation, everyone who is saved before Christ and everyone who is saved after Christ is saved the same way. By faith. He says in verse 24, Wherefore the law is our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified. How? By faith. 
The law was a schoolmaster. It pointed them to Christ. And they were justified how? By believing in Christ before He came. And so what then is the difference between the Jew and the Greek? Is the Jew better than the Greek? Better than the Gentiles? Paul tells us this in Romans 3. He says in no way. Romans 3 chapter 9. Chapter 3 and verse 9, he says, What then is it? Is a Jew better than the Greek? In no wise. For we have proved this, that all are sinners. See the unity here? Unity is we're all sinners. We all have the same father, don't we? Adam was our father. And if we are going to be saved, we have to be saved the same way. Therefore, if any man is to be justified before God, it must be by faith in the faithfulness of Christ. Faith in the faithfulness of Christ. This is how we are justified. By the grace of God that gives it to everyone who believes the gospel, Jew nor Greek, so then there is no difference as to how men are saved or justified before God. I thought of this earlier. Babe in Christ. You have a babe in Christ. You that have been, you that are spiritually mature, that God has given the ability to grow in grace. When we first believed, we were foolish. I can, I'm telling you, I remember when I first believed. I, I tell you, I, the, Martin Lloyd Jones says, you know, a believer needs two things. He needs light and heat. He needs understanding and zeal. When I first believed, I had no light but a bunch of zeal. I was, was going to set the world on fire. But I didn't have much light. I was pretty foolish running around. And I remember some of the things I said to my pastor, and I, I don't know how he didn't call me stupid. I just don't know how he kept his tongue. Uh, but that's how we are when we're babes in Christ. We don't know much. We're, we, God causes us, He's going to cause us to grow in grace and we're going to learn through trials and difficulties and pains and sorrows. He's going to teach us. He's going to teach us and we're going to grow up. And then you take a mature believer, one who has been around and God has given them growth and they're, they're, they're wise and zealous. But let me ask you this. Is there any difference in their salvation? Is the mature believer any more saved? Or is the babe any less saved? No. See the unity? See, because the salvation of the mature believer and the salvation of the babe are all dependent on Christ. Not on their maturity level. See, if we believed that, then we would we'd be preaching separation, wouldn't we? Joanne, you're more saved than other people. That'd be horrible. But that's what false religion preaches. <clears throat> and so the natural man, essentially, in our day, you know, there's a lot of, lot of talk about equality in it. <laughs> in this, this foolish idea of equality... But how do men make other men equal? Well, they, they take one, one race and they lift it up and they put down another. And they take one group that's been oppressed and one group that's been the oppressor and then they reverse it. 
Well, you oppressed me all those years. Now it's my turn to oppress you. Is that equal? Does that make it level? No. They don't want equality. They just give lip service to it. And so it is with false religion because false religion judges men based on their outward deeds. And they legislate who is the greatest in the church and who is the least by what they can see. This causes division and not unity. Division and not unity. Those in Galatia, I want you to see it again, they were causing division. There were those who were circumcised and there were those who were not. So what do they think about the people who were circumcised? They they walked around with their chest out. They, they say, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, at a higher spiritual level than you. You know, this is what uh, has been going on uh, among Calvinists and Arminians. Uh, a lot of the modern-day Calvinists just believe Arminians are lesser Christians. Well, they just don't understand as much as I do. See the division they cause? Instead of telling the truth... The Arminian gospel is heresy, friends. It's just heresy. It's not a gospel at all. They're not lesser believers. They're not believers. But because God has given me the understanding of the doctrines of grace, does that elevate me above any other believer? No. No, we don't make distinctions like that. I thought of this parable. Remember the parable of the penny? The parable of the penny. The Lord, he uh, says a man hired some servants early in the morning. And he promised to pay them a penny for their work. And they agreed. They went out there and they started working. And then noonday came and the master said, I'm going to hire some more servants. And he agreed with them for a penny. And then at the end of the day, only about an hour or so left of the work day, and he goes out and says, I'm going to hire some more servants and for a penny. And he gives, says, I'll hire you for a penny. You go out there and work. And now it comes time for payment. You see these guys only worked an hour or two. They come up there and they, they're glad to get that penny. They're so happy. And then you take that noonday workers and they say, well, hmm, man, they got a penny. Surely I'm going to get a little more because I've been out here for four hours. He gets up there and he gives them a penny. They're kind of a little upset. They said, well, at least they didn't work as much as those guys. <laughs> they, they, And then the last group comes up and they said, well, those other two groups, they didn't work very, I've been working all day long. Surely he's going to give me more than them. And you know what he gave them? He gave them a penny. Now, this is very important because a penny in that day was a whole day's meal. You, you worked daily for your, your, your meal. That's how you worked. You didn't have salaries. Most of them didn't have salaries or anything like that. Every day they worked for that penny, and that penny, was, that penny saved their life. It sustained them for a whole day. This is a picture of salvation, friends. Some of you have been laboring for a long time in, in faith. You, a lot of you have been laboring since you were young. Some at midlife. Then some even at the end of life. You know what we all get? 
we all get the same salvation. There are some then who would preach that believers have different rewards in heaven based on what they do here. This doctrine is not only false, it's deadly. This doctrine, listen friends, it divides. It divides. It doesn't generate unity. This teaching only exalts the pride of men, causes them to look down on others. And some would preach the variance of different races. Some would preach that one race is better than another. Some would preach this, that, that, that God's blessings are uh, health, wealth, and prosperity are based on the amount of faith that you have. All of these lies and heresies are from the synagogue of Satan. This is not the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is one of unity. It's one that unifies. First of all, the gospel message testifies of our union with Christ. Look at verse 26. For you are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are saved by the grace of God alone through the faith and faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter how rich or poor you are. It doesn't matter if you are black or white. It doesn't matter where you came from. If you are a believer in Christ, you are a son of God. You are. Who? All of us who believe. All of us who believe are a son of God. Believer, let us then by faith see the only reason that we are believers in Christ is because of this. We were forever in union with Christ. We were forever before the foundation of the world in union with Him. Look at Second, look at Second Timothy. Second Timothy, chapter one. Second Timothy, chapter one. Look at verse eight. He said, "Be thou therefore, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner." Be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. That's a very important phrase, the power of God, because no one's saved apart from the power of God. Look at that very first thing. Who hath saved us? What's the second thing? And called us. Which is first? He saved us. Then what did He do? He called us. How did He call us? With what kind of calling? Was He asking us? Did He, did he make an invitation? Did He leave it to our will? No. It's a holy calling. A perfect calling. A holy calling. Not according to our works. 
but according to his own purpose and grace. Why in the world are you saved? Why were you called? According to your works? No, he says, not according to your works, but according to the purpose of God and the grace of God, which was given us where? In Christ. In Christ. Remember, I told you that Christ is the center of this covenant, the center of this covenant of promise. He is responsible for the outcome of this covenant. And therefore, all of its beneficiaries are put into union with Him. When were we put in Christ? Before the world began. So then when Christ came into the world to honor God's law, when he merited the righteousness of God, you that are saved, I want you to see this, you were in him. I know Trying to wrap your mind around this is, is, is hard. It's, you can only see it by faith. That's what the importance of this is. You have to see it by faith. Because you're not going to feel it. You're not going to uh, wrap your mind around it. You, you must embrace it as God said. You were in Adam. Did you feel that? No. You weren't physically there. But you were in him. And when he died, you died. So even so Christ. We were in Christ. So when Christ obeyed God, I obeyed God. When Christ died upon the cross, bearing our sins in His own body, I died. I died in my substitute in Christ. I suffered the justice of God in Him. We were one with Him. You know, in Jeremiah 23 and verse 6, it calls the Lord. He says, in, in his days, Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is the name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Isn't Christ our righteousness? Now, how much righteousness is Christ? Is, is, he, is he partial or is he all our righteousness? What do we call him? We call him the Lord our righteousness. He's all my righteousness. Why, that's his name. That's his name. But in Jeremiah 33, listen to what it says. In those days Judah shall be saved and Jerusalem shall dwell safely. And this is the name whereby she shall be called. Listen what your name is. The Lord our righteousness. We are given the same name he has. Can you get much more in union than that? He is all our righteousness. And when the Lord died, we died in union with him. Paul said in chapter 2 of our text, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. That's my source of my life. Is the, son, the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I was crucified with Christ. And so when Jesus Christ died under the justice of God, I died in Him. 
And when he rose from the dead, you listen, when he rose from the dead, I rose from the dead in him. When God set him on the throne of God, he set me on the throne of God in him. Union with Christ. And I'll tell you this, we have not yet experience the fullness of this union I'm telling you about something that I can't fully understand I believe it with all my heart that's my hope is I'm in union with him that's it it's all my hope one day we will fully experience this union Paul says in Romans 8 for we for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, he also justified, and to whom he justified, he also glorified. Do you know those all are past tense? Paul wrote that a long time before I was born. And yet it's, it, it's, as, it's as though he says... You've already been called. You've already been justified. You've already been glorified. You feel glorified? You feel justified? Oftentimes we doubt if we were ever called. Well, see, that's good. It don't have anything to do with my feelings, does it? So all this even before... We ever received it by faith. Therefore the believer must never exalt our faith in Christ above others. Must never exalt ourselves. Because this is true of all of us. This is true of all of us. If we are faithful witnesses of the gospel. We must never boast in ourselves. Our station. Our status. Our family. Our religion. We must and should always give thanks. You realize you can't murmur and give thanks at the same time. If you're, mur if, you're, if you're murmuring and giving thanks, you're really not giving thanks. You're just murmuring. But let our boast then always be in Jesus Christ. It is always the heart of the believer to brag on Christ. Why? Because he's our Savior. He's my righteousness. He's my justification. He's my sanctification. He's my wisdom. He's my redemption. We boast of Christ. If we have believed on the... It is only then by the grace of God because we were put into union with Him. And only those who are born again by the power of God can claim this union. I'm going to go through this next part real quickly. Union of the church union with the church of Christ now look at this again you are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ there should be no condition there should be no uh, contention or boasting or strife among the people of God because all believers in Christ are in union with Christ all of us are children of God there's not one that, that can exalt himself above another you're just as much a child of God as I am. 
Do I have any? I'm preaching the gospel. Does that give me any room to boast? Does that have anything to do with me being a child of God? Nothing. Nothing. I have no room to boast. We are all the children of God. It was all by the will of God to conform us to the image of His Son. You know, it makes me cringe when people tell me that we're all children of God. Well, we're all children of God. No, we're not. We're not. Jesus told those Pharisees, you are of your father the devil. Were they children of God? No. No. So who are everyone who believes in Jesus Christ? But if anyone believes in Christ plus their merits, plus their obedience, plus the, the power of their will, they, these are not the children of God. The word of God then is plain. Paul says, if you be circumcised, in the same chapter, look at your text real quickly. What happens if someone adds something of their own works to make distinguish themselves? What does Paul say about this matter of circumcision? Look at chapter 5 and verse 2. He says, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, If you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you what? Nothing. Why? Because they, they believe that adding their circumcision to his work made, made them more profitable. They were, they were higher spiritually uh, than everyone else. Paul says this, if you add anything to Christ, he's not going to profit you anything. He said, I testify again to every man that is circumcised, that he is a debtor to the whole law. Christ has become of no effect in you, whosoever you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. To all whose salvation as any part depended upon themselves, these are not the children of God. But if by the grace of God you have been born of the Spirit through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we know and have assurance that we are the children of God. How? Because we believe on Christ alone. This is the, this is the unity of every believer. We all, all of us. Now there are different churches who have different manners in worship. They, they do things a little differently. It doesn't amount to anything. But we all know this, if you are a child of God, that all our hope is on Jesus Christ. All of it. Paul says in Ephesians 4, Therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. How we walk, Paul, with lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Why? There is one body and one spirit. Even we are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all. Above all and through all and in you all. And to every one of us is given the grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Every one of us is given the grace. Every one of us. But according to the measure he gives us. You may not have the same measure of faith. But if you have more, who gives it? 
If you have more measure of love, who gives that? That's a gift of God too. It's true of every child of God that we must and shall believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So with all lowliness and meekness of mind, how do we act? We act in love toward one another. And we do not promote ourselves. Look what he says back in your text real quick and I'll close. He says this. You're all the children of God. How? By faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as baptized into Christ have put on Christ. His baptism in Christ is spiritual. Physical baptism, and I want to I'll probably deal with this more on uh, Sunday. Physical baptism is a symbolic picture of a spiritual event. But what he means by baptism is this. We are all baptized into Christ, and Christ is our deliverer. You, you that are saved, you've all been delivered by Jesus Christ. You that are saved, you have all been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You all that have been saved have been given life, spiritual life, by Jesus Christ. And you that, are, you that have faith, you have been given faith by Christ, and He keeps giving you faith. If you have faith, it's going to endure because He keeps. And then what do we do? We put on Christ by faith. We that have been delivered by Christ Put on Christ. You put on Christ simply this. is Like that uh, high priest. He would take off his common garments. When he was getting ready to go into that sanctuary. To do his work. He would put off his common garments. And put on the priestly robes. And this is what we do. is We put on the righteousness of Christ. I think the best illustration of that. Was that wedding garment. You remember? The king who had a feast for his son, a wedding feast, he made the garment. And he gave it to everyone who came to the feast. And the only one who was cast out was what? The person had his own garment. And so we that have been baptized into Christ, into union with Christ, look, is there anything else you want to put on? Is there any other righteousness you want to put on but his? I'd say even more than that. He didn't say just put on the righteousness, put on Christ. I think of that, uh, the scheme that uh, Jacob had. Remember? He put on the skin of that animal. So that when, uh, uh, so when his father Isaac felt him, he felt his son. And so it is, we put, we're so put into union with Christ that when God sees us, He sees His Son. This is the glorious truth of the covenant. This is all the promise of God. The covenant of promise. And the unifying part is this, we are all baptized. So then what does He say? There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you're all one. Where? In Christ. <clears throat> no distinctions. No distinctions. I, have you ever thought about this? When these Jews were coming in, they said, well, you've got to be circumcised. What about the women? <laughs> you 
You can't, you can't be saved unless you're circumcised. That made a distinction, didn't it? What does he say here? There's no such distinctions. No such distinctions. No bond, no free, no male, no female. Now there are distinctions. We don't say that Christ does. If you were a slave when you believed in Christ, you didn't automatically can tell your master, I'm free and get out. No, that's not what he means. There's no distinctions in salvation. And I hope to get to this soon. There, there will be distinctions in our responsibilities in this body. You have different parts of your body. It's all one body, isn't it? Your hands aren't your mouth. Your feet aren't your hands. They do different things, but they're all one body. And listen, Christ is the head of this body. Every time my hand moves, you know why? It's because my head. My mind is telling it to move. My hand is living because my head is. And so it is with all of us. All of our hope is in Christ. And I'll tell you this. We all who are in Christ don't want to be anywhere but in Christ. Is there any other place you'd rather be? Oh, that I might be found in him the unity of the church is found in Christ not having mine own righteousness which is of law but the righteousness which is by the faith of Jesus Christ that's the righteousness I want that's the righteousness I need so how then does this exalt me it doesn't exalts Christ and that's the covenant of promise that unifies us all one in Christ all saved by Christ no distinctions my preaching adds absolutely nothing to my righteousness not one bit your sitting there does not add one bit to your righteousness your believing this does not add one bit to your righteousness why? Christ is all my righteousness. And he's all your righteousness. If you believe. I pray God will bless this to you. Let's stand and be dismissed in prayer.